Welcome to Nolan Hyman's The Look Legal Podcast Network. This is the first episode of our Meta This series. At the time of this recording, it's estimated there are over 470 million people who are using Metaverse platforms monthly. Roblox alone has over 200 million monthly active users. The global Metaverse market is estimated at over $40 billion and growing rapidly. This presents a new and unique opportunity for both creators and brands to engage with their customers, if they can figure out how. My name is David Snyder, and I'm a partner at Nolan Hyman. Today, I'm joined by Justin Hochberg, the CEO of Virtual Brand Group. Justin is a former Microsoft executive with over 25 years experience in brand and content creation. His company, Virtual Brand Group, has been recognized by Crypto News as one of the top 10 metaverse marketing agencies. Justin is one of the few people who has the experience implementing a successful brand strategy in the metaverse. I'm excited to have him join me today to share some of his thoughts on the metaverse and the opportunities it presents. Justin, thank you for joining me. David, a pleasure to be here. And uh, I just can't believe that we're doing a metaverse interview in the real world. I feel a little out of sorts that I'm not staring at you with pink hair riding a French fry magic carpet. Well, I think maybe we missed an opportunity there. I, I, I have to get a VR headset when we do that next time. Okay, well, let's make that a plan for number two. So I want to start with a really basic question, which is when we talk about the metaverse, what does that mean to you? What is it? So I think on the most basic level, and I always approach this from a consumer perspective, the metaverse is simply a new set of technologies that will enable you to do a variety of new business and personal things, just like the internet was. I think if you just think about what it was like 25, 27 years ago when the Mosaic browser was invented by Mark Andreessen, he ushered in an era where there was this thing called the internet. And and, and if you look this up, and I highly recommend doing it, there was a great interview with David Letterman, uh, iconic talk show host from the 90s and 2000s, where he interviewed Bill Gates about what was this new internet thing. And on that show, they comedically dissected this same question. So I don't know that you and I will have the same rapport or credibility, but I can repeat this and I think it lands, which is, what is the internet? And then Bill Gates would sort of describe it as a bunch of you know technological things that connect to a bunch of computers that allow you to do a bunch of this and that. And then David Letterman, of course, said something like, uh, and who owns it? And the answer is nobody. And what can you do? And the answer was anything you want. Now, as a general consumer, of course, David Letterman had a lot of fun with Bill Gates on that because that really doesn't tell you anything. And it's actually wildly frustrating. And so if you think about where we are today, we're kind of in that same space. What is the metaverse? Who owns it? And what can you do with it? And all the answers are exactly the same, right? So on some level, I could tell you technically what it is, but most people, unless you run the IT department, don't care. Just like I don't care how Amazon gets me the book faster, I just use it because it gets me the book faster and cheaper. So from my perspective, the metaverse, simply put, is the next leap in e-commerce and social interaction, both from a consumer perspective and a business-to-business -business perspective. And the key fundamental things that make it the next leap are two dominant variables, which are one is it allows you to exist in a three-dimensional world, i.e. 
I, as a character, an avatar, as they're called, dressed any way I want, can interact with people. I can talk to them. I can socialize with them. I can play with them. I can work with them. I can do presentations with them. And I can interact in a way that doesn't exist in a two-dimensional website like Amazon. The second fundamental piece of this is that this piece of technology is called decentralized, which is to say nobody owns the infrastructure. Uh, it is out there like the internet is, but no one owns the internet. It's just everybody's computers connect to everybody else and there's wires everywhere. But what this decentralization allows you to do is it allows you to actually own your intellectual property. Now, why is that important? In particular, as a consumer, we have been lulled into sort of a state of domination by a bunch of companies like Apple, Facebook, and Google, who have told us we could use their platforms in exchange for simply letting them show us some ads. And what that has turned into is we as humans have become the product. Our lives, our likes, our interactions are all mined for data and then sold to the highest bidder. So in that instance, you own nothing. If you built your business on Facebook or the Apple store and Apple changes the algorithm, you're absolutely out of luck. In this world, the decentralized nature of this means that you will always own that picture you posted of your grandmother. And so you will be able to move that picture from the metaverse version of Twitter and Facebook which is not allowed. And that's what metaverse is to me, a simple way for consumers to have new experiences, new business opportunities, and actually own their own intellectual property, unlike they do today. So I want to get into some of that. But before diving too deep, I want to talk about just practically what exists today that you would think of as metaverse platforms. How are people accessing the technology right now? So that's a great question. And I think there is often confusion between people who have seen movies like Ready Player One made by Steven Spielberg, where you live in a world that is dystopian and you have a set of goggles on your face all day and think that that may be the metaverse. And I don't think there, you know, again, as I would like to say, if you ask uh, 10 people, you'll get 11 different answers. Here's what I would say about today's metaverse. It is generally undefined, but... Most people spend the majority of their day staring into what one calls the black mirror, named after the show, of course, on your phone. And right now we're on a Zoom. You probably have half your meetings now on a Zoom. You probably rack up six hours a day looking at your phone or a PC. And so whether it's strapped to your forehead or staring into a device, that is the access point to the metaverse, right? It's just you go on a device anywhere in the world, a PC, a laptop, a PlayStation, doesn't make a difference. It all connects to the what you know as the internet, and then it leads you someplace. And so that's the access point. Today's most common metaverse platforms or things that people use because they're just at scale are things like Roblox, the game that went public last year, and Fortnite, which is also a game. Those are, and Minecraft, which is also a game. Now, those are the most popular because they have actually been around. And this is something most people don't know. The metaverse is not new. All of the things that underpin the metaverse have been around between 10 and 20 years. Roblox was founded in 2005. 
The big difference is most people just learned about it when Facebook changed its name. And so right now there are places where hundreds of millions of people are gathering to transact, play, uh, build, do brands, etc., like Roblox, Fortnite, and Minecraft. So that's the most common reference metaverse amongst, shall we say, people who are not deeply involved in this space, the average consumer. And I think what makes those platforms distinct from technologies that came before them is that they're persistent universes, at least in some sense, where people can go on and interact and have experiences beyond just the game itself. And, you know, in the case of Minecraft, not even so much a game. Do you think that's sort of a distinction between pre-metaverse and metaverse? Well, again, I don't think there's really a defined definition of the metaverse. I mean, because unlike defining the internet, which actually has a definition, some version of a series of connected, interconnected computers, da, 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 da. the metaverse is more of a philosophical description of it. What I would say is these experiences like Roblox and Fortnite are virtual worlds which people interact on. Brands are now on it. Uh, I launched a com- I launched the fashion brand Forever 21 on Roblox. is the third brand ever to be there. What today seems like a very simple, basic idea, a year and a half ago was considered risky and unproven because no one had done it, which is exactly why I did it. And it turned out to be wildly successful. We have millions of hours of consumer engagement. We generate revenue on the platform from in-game purchases and virtual fashion. So those are the most common persistent worlds where you exist and it lives and it thrives. And I think the big difference between what they are and what we're used to in sort of a prior version, which we would call maybe Web 2 as opposed to Metaverse, which is Web 3, is that in Web 2, when you played a game, Call of Duty, or when I was a kid, you play ColecoVision or Donkey Kong, there was a script written by a bunch of people at gaming companies like Activision or whatever it was, and that was what you had to stick to. In these worlds, what makes the metaverse different is it's like Disneyland. You go, and yet, and there are planned things that happen. But once you're there, your experience with them how you interact with Goofy and what you do for the day is up to you. Now, take the concept of Disney World or Disneyland and now remove the laws of gravity from it, where it's not just planned by some corporation what games you can play, but the tools are there for anyone from a six-year-old to a corporate entity like the Virtual Brand Group to build and innovate at any time. And so Roblox is often mistaken for a game, but it's not. It is a platform with very simple tools that actually now has 50 million games on it. And so that's what makes this very different, is the empowerment of the consumer to build and control their own world. Yeah, I wanted to ask you specifically about the launch you and your company did for Forever 21. And I was going to describe it as launching the Forever 21 store, but that's really not a fair depiction. It's really a brand project within that platform. Can you talk about what you guys did and and what lessons you learned from that? So I think one of the mistakes people think of is that when they think about brands, they think, well, we have, you know, again, we're, we're all we're all prone to this. We tend to use the terminology and thought process from whatever we're very used to and then project it onto the next thing, which is inevitably not the way it's going to play out. So if you were a retailer, 
and you came to me, you would likely say, we operate stores or e-commerce. How do we create a store on Roblox? And I would say that would be a giant mistake because Roblox is not about a store. Roblox consumers value play. So again, back to my Disney experience, you know, I think the average consumer on Disney World only rides for 18% of their time, 82% is they're playing. They are hugging Goofy, they are running around, they are taking pictures, they are whatever they're doing. And so you don't want to build a store which implies transaction. You can turn a retail brand that is constrained by square footage and insurance and how do you design an aisle or a cash register into something that is Disneyfied. And so when we built Forever 21, that experience is a game. You build your own store, you merchandise your own store, you work with customers, you get to put on fashion shows. Um, so all the best experiences in the metaverse, whether it be Forever 21 or we did we did we worked with Barbie, um, or whether it's on Roblox or it's on Minecraft, is about building out the experiential way that people can interact. Like think of Coachella. Like why is that different than listening to the radio? Or, or to a podcast or a serious XM. It's because you're there, it's live, it's fluid, there's different people, you meet up, there's different activations. That is what the metaverse enables. And that is where brands are seeing its mo most of the success, is building out worlds that keep you in there. And just to give an example, one of the top rated experiences besides Forever 21 on Roblox is Sonic, as in the character and the movie with Jim Carrey. In, I can't remember the time frame, but less than a year, they've had 540 million visitors into their experience. 540 million visitors. That's unbelievable statistics. In fact, just to add some more numbers to you, because I'm, I'm sure people are looking for data, the average consumer, you know, a, a lot of companies invest in social media. In fact, it's probably one of the biggest spends in anybody's marketing budget. And that would be TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. If you add up the top five social media platforms, including TikTok, YouTube, et cetera, the average consumer spends about 60 some odd hours a month on those platforms. The average consumer spends 78 hours a month on Roblox. So when you start thinking about building your business or this as a opportunity to reach consumers, I would start telling people in the marketing department, stop spending so much money on social media and start spending money where people are not only spending more time, but they're interacting in deeper ways because it's not just a like, a post, it's playing, it's, it's, it's got play patterns and it's very different. Yeah, that resonates with me because our, our firm, we have deep experience in location-based entertainment. And we've been talking for years about how experiential entertainment is converging with everything in retail, in virtual reality, in brand licensing, entertainment, things like the Star Wars cruise that Disney is doing, um, even within retail establishments, trying to create an experience for the customer. And it seems like the metaverse offers a whole new level, a way to connect with consumers without limitations and to amplify brands and create an experience for consumers. That's exactly right. And, you know, here's the good news and the bad news is oftentimes the people who are dominant in one industry, let's say all the location-based entertainment people, you know, whether, whether it's a studio like Lionsgate or Disney or Pixar or whatever, uh, they're often the slowest ones to then see this sea change in this. You would think that somebody like Disney with all of its IP or all that stuff would have been an early mover in this, but they're just not. 
I like to say, having worked in the entertainment business for uh, decades before the metaverse, is the entertainment industry is always seeks the last mover advantage. And I don't know that it is an advantage. So historically, they never adopted. They fought television. They fought VHS. They fought DVDs on and on and on. And they are always the last mover. And so just the other day, I think Bob Chapek from Disney said, we're not even going to use the word metaverse because they think that it scares people because they don't understand it. That was echoed by also Tim Cook and, in fact, in the CEO of NVIDIA, which is so ironic to me because those are three companies that should be at the center of leadership on the metaverse, given that they provide experiences, technologies, and consumer brands. And I, I wrote a post the other day that said, when Tim Cook issued the idea of, I don't use the word metaverse, I said, Steve Jobs would tell him he's wrong if he was alive. And that's because I don't think people are against the metaverse. I think some of the things may have started off on the wrong foot, but it takes somebody like Tim Cook at Apple or Disney to explain to people in its simplest form and then show them with products what the metaverse is. So instead of backing away from this thing that, you know, if you Google search, it has billions of views. I would pose to them, you should be building experiences that explain it and show it just like Steve Jobs built the iPhone and the iPad, which by the way, everyone ridiculed the name of the iPad. They thought it was a sanitary product. And now no one even questions it. And that's why, and Steve Jobs did this because he's famous for the following thing. Someone once asked him, why don't you ever listen to consumer marketing groups? And he said, because it's not people's job to know what they want. It's my job to tell them. And that is what people like me and other builders in this ecosystem are doing. We are not waiting for some data and some corporate analytical strategy. We are out there building experiences in in, in matter of weeks or months instead of years and decades to test out what consumers want so that we can become the next version of, you know, you know, uh, Lululemon or Amazon or Facebook or whatever it is. Well, it seems like that uh, slow mover advantage or disadvantage creates a real opportunity for small and mid-sized brands to jump in and start trying things out and, and be the first movers. Well, I would say that's consistent with every new shift in technology, right? I mean, think of all the brands that got displaced by the internet, right? Let's just take Amazon and any book company. Or, right? And let's yeah. just take the shift to streaming. I mean, I worked in Silicon Valley for Microsoft in the 90s and 2000s, and everybody knew that broadband was going to happen, and everybody knew that there was going to be a moment, whatever day that was, where you were going to be able to stream TV. In fact, one of my jobs there was working in the TV division of the streaming division of Microsoft to come down to Hollywood and say to people like Peter Chernin and the heads of all the talent agencies, guys, you are going to be able to watch any show on a device that is this fits in your pocket, and there will be an entire business around that, just like there was with TV. And you're going to probably tell me that nobody will watch TV because everybody's used to watching movies. And yet everybody was used to watching TV because what was great about TV? Convenience. What will be great about this is convenience and choice. And I had everybody tell me there was no way in hell that that would ever happen. So. These moments in time are the perfect moment to, to, as a challenger brand, to establish yourself and circumvent large corporate entities. Um, in fact, it's happening already. You know, there's over 2,000 racing games on Roblox. So if you're a NASCAR or Formula One and you're thinking, I'm eventually going to get to this, by the time you do, 
there might be thousands of other racing leagues, dozens of really well-established leagues that are all funded that already have hundreds of millions of people playing globally. And so every shift creates that opportunity for a challenger brand. You know, it's, I, I read an article just yesterday that was a study on uh, Gen Z consumers and newer consumers. And it was saying that they are not so much engaging in pop culture as they are in niche cultures. And that to be successful, brands are going to have to drop into subcultures and speak to a specific audience using their language to be authentic and connect with them. And it's entirely consistent with what you're saying. And the metaverse seems like it's going to be a fantastic tool to do that. Yeah, and I, I think that thought has existed for a while. I think it was most popularized by the idea of the long tail, i.e., once you started breaking down barriers between people, uh, which used to exist because they were everything was physical and geographical, like you'd, you'd have to go to a store to buy a magazine, and you know the magazine in New York might have been different than the magazine in, in Mexico City or Japan. Once you started breaking down things with the internet, groups that had affinity for the same thing could easily find each other. And that, you know, that developed slowly through blogs and, and Reddit subgroups and all that stuff. And like CBS versus Netflix, CBS needs 10 million people in the, in, in basically 10 States to watch a show for it to be a hit. And if they can't get that mass market to do it, it goes away. Netflix does not need that. It can survive on a couple million people in 50 different countries who happen to like this, that, or the other thing. And so the long tail is, is definitely it. Um, it's also because the cost to create content from making a TV show 20 years ago to making a YouTube video today are nominal. I mean, people are building empires like Mr. Beast off of an iPhone, and that's it. So that is enabling anybody with anything to say to put it out there. Now, the big problem with that, of course, is, you know, with everything out there, how do you find something that you like? Well, discoverability is obviously an issue. So one of the things in the metaverse um, that will be challenging is search. Like, where is the search engine for the metaverse? If you tried to figure out who owned what NFT or all the different NFTs available or, you know, all the different games on Roblox, there's no such thing for that yet. And so then that brings back us to the original question of, Will the metaverse be centralized because you can't have search unless there's some way to organize the metaverse or decentralized, which is to say people will poke around at it and find what they can. And that that answer is yet to be written. So there's a lot more we could cover here and we'll have to do another podcast another day to get to some of it. But I just want to ask you one more question before we wrap up, which is for companies and brands who are looking to get into the metaverse and figure out how to get started. What are the first steps for them? And how do they contact you if they want to find out more from you? So the, the, the best thing to go is to uh, virtualbrandgroup.com. You can look at case studies with actual data on Barbie and Forever 21. You can see some of the things that we do from strategy to onboarding brands to helping them navigate virtual fashion, uh, loyalty programs, et cetera, which is the full range of opportunities. There's a very prominent work with us button, and you can go right there. You can be on LinkedIn, Justin Hochberg, and uh, you'll see postings about everything from today was, why isn't there insurance in the metaverse? How do I protect the fact that my daughter just lost four years worth of goods on Roblox and there's no recourse. So that's on a personal note. On a broader note, so because everything is so bespoke, because the data is so rare, 
you really do need to find someone who is not your typical agency. So don't, I know no one gets fired for hiring McKinsey, as they like to say, but most of them, these agencies, McKinsey, Publicis, Havis, CAA, they are advisors. There is a long list of people who would like to advise you. There's a very, very short list of people who are in the trenches, working with the technologies, suffering, the, taking the arrows in the back, learning how the search algorithm works on Roblox, and you need to find those. And so whether you work with a company like the Virtual Brand Group or not, you've got to find somebody who is in the trenches right now because that's where all the really important things are. The idea of some big strategy company is not going to help you actually make your brand's entry a success. Well, Justin, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate you sharing your views on this stuff with us. I look forward to seeing what you guys do in the future. David, it's always a pleasure. And I will say your counsel and advice in this new space has been very valuable to our company. And I always think of, you know, when we, when we think of people that are like leading thought leadership in your sector, I think of you often. So i um, happy to do it and look forward to the next one. I appreciate that. Take care.